Hi everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As you know, on these intros, I usually just kind of ramble on about whatever random bullshit's been rattling around in my mind this week. I was going to talk about the movie Zardoz. I, I saw that earlier. It's a pretty crazy movie. It's Sean Connery cosplays as Vampirella in a post-apocalyptic future, and there's a giant stone head that vomits guns. It's crazy, and it's just the kind of weird random shit that I normally talk about. Maybe I will later. But that isn't really what I've been thinking about lately. I've been thinking about my grandpa a lot, so I thought I'd talk about it a little. He's a pretty amazing guy. I wish you could have met him. I think you would have liked him. Maybe. (laughs) He definitely rubbed some people the wrong way. He had a lot of opinions, and you never had to wonder what they were. He'd definitely tell you, but he was a really sweet and kind and wonderful grandfather. It's funny, too. Not as funny as he thought he was. I think that might run in the family, but he was a funny guy. He died a couple years ago. Towards the end, he had dementia pretty badly. But even then, he was always cracking jokes. He's also, with the possible exception of my mother, the smartest person I've ever met. He was amazing. Even towards the end of his life, he had all of Shakespeare memorized. If If you said a quote, he would be able to finish it from any of Shakespeare's plays. Is pretty remarkable. Everybody called him Charlie. Well, my grandmother, she had a really thick New Hampshire accent, and she'd call him Charlie. Oh, Charlie. But his name was Khalil, and his family were immigrants from Syria. And if there had been a ban on immigrants from Syria back then, he wouldn't have been able to graduate from Boston Latin, an all-Latin-speaking high school, when he was 16 years old. He wouldn't have been able to put himself through Harvard by driving a taxi in Boston. He wouldn't have been able to serve his country as an army doctor in World War II in the South Pacific. And he wouldn't have been able to marry my grandmother and raise my mother and, and her four brothers and sisters, who themselves grew up to be professors and doctors and counselors and soldiers and mothers and fathers. And he definitely wouldn't have had a grandson who has a dumb podcast about comic books, who misses his grandpa very much. Like I said, I've been thinking about my grandpa a lot this week. And so I just upped my donation to the ACLU so that they can sue the fuck out of any piece of shit who tries to keep people like my grandpa out of this country. I think it'd be nice if you did something like that, too. Anyway, Zardoz is a pretty crazy movie. (laughs) There's a scene where there's a lecture about how nobody in the future understands how boners work. You should probably go see it. Anyway, you guys want to talk about the Teen Titans? Let's do that. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Fred Groves. My name is Gar and I'm a green cow, or maybe I'm a green dog now. Whatever beast I pick this time, I'm always green. My name is Gar, and when I fight, or when Cyborg is wound too tight and yells bozo right at my head, I'm still a green cow. I lick the bread. Thanks, Fred. That was fun. New Teen Titans, number 8. June, 1981. A Day in the Lives. Written by Marv Wolfman, drawn by George Perez, with inks by Romeo Tangal. Teen Titan Roll Call. Raven. Beast Boy. Wonder Girl. Robin. Starfire, Kid Flash, Cyborg. Starfire is flying around New York City, enjoying the warm springtime weather. She has a lunch date with Donna, so she heads down to the ad agency where they're supposed to meet. On her way, she ruminates that Donna's secret identity is confusing to her, probably because she's new to Earth. Yeah, that's probably the reason. Let's go with that. When she arrives at the Silver Fox ad agency, she finds that Donna is having trouble with one of the models she's supposed to be shooting for a jeans ad. Oh, turns out Donna's a professional fashion photographer. Anyway, one of the models, a woman named Candy, is crazy stupid. Wait, a model being portrayed as stupid? It's almost like a stereotype. But what would that be doing in a comic book? Speaking of stereotypes, we are introduced to Sergio DeLevi, a broad Italian caricature who owns the jeans company that Candy is modeling for. In just a few panels, he manages to establish that he is a cigar-chomping womanizer who compares women to pasta and ends most words with a superfluous A. I'm surprised he doesn't keep exclaiming, Mamma mia! Oh wait, he does. Mr. DeLevi is immediately enthralled with Coriander, 
and insists that she must replace Candy as his new jeans model. Donna and Starfire leave DeLevy to negotiate with the ad agency as they head out to grab some lunch. When they get to the restaurant, Donna introduces Coriander to her boyfriend, Terry Long. Terry is a red-haired, bearded divorcee who Donna has been dating for a little over a year now. Huh. Okay. After lunch, the trio head to the park where Donna takes pictures of Starfire while Terry ogles the orange ingenue. Not sure how I feel about this Terry Long. Also, I keep thinking his name is Teddy Long, which makes me keep expecting him to call me Playa and insist that there be a tag team match. Starfire has no problem with Terry. After the photo session is over, she delights an old creepo in the park by changing in front of him and then flies off to do some happy barrel rolls. Then she knocks out a runaway horse to save a child. Hooray! Meanwhile, back at the Titan Tower, Raven and Robin are hanging out, presumably talking about how dope it is to be named after a bird that starts with the letter R. I would actually be super into a new titan named Ribbon-Tailed Drongo, or Rhinoceros Hornbill. Uh, if they ever add another R bird, it'll probably be Rook, or Raptor. Boring. Anyway, Robin takes off in his flying rocket cycle to his new day job at the circus, which we don't get to see. Boo! Raven decides that, like Starfire, she too should explore the strange new city that has recently become her home. She sends her astral self out to Manhattan University to poke around and see whether or not she should enroll. Not a bad plan, except for the fact that her soul self has a five-minute limit on how long it can be out of her body before some super bad shit goes down. I guess her plan is that if within the first five minutes she's on campus, some white dude on the quad pulls out an acoustic guitar and plays a Bob Marley cover, then MU is not the school for her. If so, looks like Raven won't be going to college. Anywhere. Unfortunately... What Raven does encounter in her first minute at MU is arguably worse than an acoustic guitar enthusiast. Maybe. It's terrorists planning to blow up the college. Raven grabs the ambiguously international terrorist bombs and drops them harmlessly into the Hudson River. Hooray! The only problem is Raven's astral exhibition of Daring Do has taken longer than she anticipated, and now her five minutes is up. Oh shit! Raven's soul self is suddenly stuck in some kind of shitty dimension where everything sucks and she has to trip balls for like two or three pages. She eventually realizes that the Azerathians were wrong about that five-minute thing, and that's more of a guideline. The shitty old Azerathians had just assumed the dimension you get stuck in when the astral buzzer goes off is inescapable because they're idiots and as soon as they're faced with the slightest adversity, they fold like a poker player with a six-high nothing. After surviving her bad trip, Raven returns to her body with a newfound sense of self-confidence. Hooray! In a different part of town, an old chubby rich dude named Jeremy Thornton goes into a toy store to redeem a coupon that he got in the mail for a free puppet. His grandson likes the creepy cowboy marionette, so they take it home. A different creepy puppet watches these events transpire on a view screen and reports to his off-panel boss that Thornton has taken the bait. Well, that isn't ominous. Meanwhile, at Cyborg's shitty apartment, Vic and Gar are hanging out talking about how, since his dying dad montage last issue, Vic isn't pissed off anymore. Good for him. Beast Boy gets a call from his stepdad, Steve Dayton's business manager, Vernon Quester. Vernon is freaked out because members of the board of Dayton Industries have been getting murdered lately. Gar is annoyed that the untimely deaths are fucking up his afternoon, but grudgingly agrees to go sign some papers or something. What a guy. A couple of fellows named Ruffy and Earl are about to seal Gar's car, so he changes into a rhino and chases them off. Vic decides to go check in on his ex-girlfriend Marcy, who he hasn't seen since his extra-dimensional accident and subsequent robotification. Marcy's a real asshole, and starts crying and says that her parents are super robot racist and didn't want her dating or even talking to any robo-guys. She says she wishes Vic had died in the accident. What a jerkhole. She tries to walk it back a little bit and put the blame back on her parents, but Vic isn't having any. He calmly tells her to fuck off and takes a stroll down to the park. Suddenly, a baseball bounces off his head. Turns out a support group for kids with prosthetic limbs is out in the park playing ball. The kids all think Cyborg is rad as fuck. Their teacher, a pretty blonde lady named Sarah Sims, tells the kids to leave Vic alone, but he tells her it's cool. He goes off to whoop the kids at baseball as a charmed Sarah looks on. Hooray! Meanwhile, back in the Midwestern town of Blue Valley... Wally is having a chat with his folks. Seems the junior wizard of Wiz is having a tough time deciding if he wants to keep being a superhero. His 1950s Leave it to Beaver parents tell him that they love him, and his mom makes the menfolk a turkey dinner. His dad tells Wally that he should cut the turkey, because he's the man of the house now. Huh? What does that even mean? Wally's dad is just ceding his dominance to his son? I feel like I just watched a weird nature documentary that takes place in the suburbs. Is Wally's dad just going to wander away from the herd now that he's no longer the alpha? Meanwhile, Jeremy Thornton, the portly gentleman who redeemed his puppet coupon earlier today, 
Tux is visiting grandson in for the night, and retires to his study to go over some of Dayton Industries' reports. He's just about to read a file about something called Project Prometheum, when that goddamn creepy-ass cowboy puppet walks into the room and shoots him dead and starts laughing maniacally. What the fuck? Look, I don't want to get all political again, but this is why we need to have a waiting period for puppets to purchase handguns. It's just common sense. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing pretty well myself. So, let's just get into this. What'd you think? Oh, this was a heartwarming delight of a comic. I gotta say that this, I think, is my favorite new Teen Titans one we've done so far. And I think, ironically, when I was a kid, it might have been my least favorite. Like, if I had read these as a kid, which I didn't, Uh just looking at it, what I love about this is that there are no supervillain battles. It's just them living their day-to-day lives. And I think that might have bored me when I was a kid. But, like, I love the soap opera aspect of it now. Mm -hmm. And that is my favorite thing about comic books is, okay, but what do they do in their regular time? Mm-hmm. You know? And yeah, I I loved it. I thought it was great. Let's hit this kind of a differently, at least, to start it off, because it's set up in a different kind of uh, a story, uh, where we see a little bit of what each of the heroes are up to. So let's just go through the heroes and talk about what you thought about each of them. Okay. What'd you think about Wally's story? Well, so we knew that he left to go home, because he had some thinking to do. Right. About if he wanted to go to college and be a normal boy. Right. Or a superhero. Or he wants to be a good, good boy. (laughs) Who's a good boy, Wally? He's a good boy. I don't understand his promotion suddenly to manhood by his dad. And also (laughs) what that says about his dad. Yeah. Yeah. Super awkward at the end. It is really weird. Is like, is, is his dad like, well... I'm not a man anymore. I've been meaning to tell you, son. I'm a eunuch now. (laughs) Yeah, it's just really strange, just the man of the house thing. Also, in general, I guess Wally lives in the 50s? It seems that way. Wally lives in Pleasantville, pretty much. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the Teen Titans live in New York City. I understand that to a certain extent, Wally had been a little bit of a blank slate as a character. And I appreciate trying to develop him in a different direction. And I kind of like the idea of having one of the superheroes be more middle America than the rest of them. I'm not crazy about it. Still kind of boring. Yeah, it's boring, and it also doesn't really seem like the Wally that we knew in the Teen Titans comics. Although, again, I guess a lot of that was us projecting things onto his character based on his scenario, because he didn't have a ton of personality development, really. Yeah, he. I felt though like he was a lot more fun and like happy-go-lucky and confident and joking around, and yeah, liking to be the center of attention. And now he's like a cartoon teenager. Was so I saw one where it's like the cartoon teenagers like I didn't ask to be drawn. Uh, He's he's kind of got that going on He's like I got these powers Like There was a funny turn of phrase which he used That I don't know if I'm getting it right But he said something about the lightning throwing all those chemicals on me (laughs) (laughs) Yeah To get his powers That's the thing though Like he didn't used to have that kind of angst And he's like I never wanted that I may be slightly mistaken, but I'm pretty sure he a billion percent wanted that when he was Kid Flash. When he was the Kid Flash who wore just the regular Flash's costume Mm -hmm. for the first couple of years before he even got the yellow and red one. He was a huge Flash fan. He totally coveted Flash powers, wanted to be the Flash, and it was a dream come true for him. Mm -hmm. And they just seem to be kind of shunting that to the wayside, which I think is unfortunate. The whole Raven situation's got him twisted. It totally does. Let's move on to Raven. That's a nice segue, Corey. Thank you. Poor Raven. I mean, she comes out of this well. Sure. Enough. But it seems like she is always the one in the issue that, like, has some super bummer thing happen to her. Yeah. I think maybe it, to a certain extent, I feel like Wolfman might be having to write it that way to, like, no, remember, you need to like this person. So really trying to win our sympathy back after she did the emotional manipulating, even though it was something that she was forced to do, etc. She was always I, disappearing. Yeah, I, I think that might be the case. It, it's it's kind of a cool little journey that she goes on, I guess. Cool and terrifying. Well, yes. I mean, cool for us, the readers, not cool for Raven. Yeah, I, I think that, that objectively it was a, a bit of a bummer for her total bad trip she had a bad trip 
Real That's bad. That's, like, not as bad as she gave that kid in the drug awareness issue, but still pretty it's bad. still pretty bad. Like, if she was at a music festival, they would have to take her to the tent. Oh, totally, like totally. Tent. Anybody who's been separated from their soul self for more than five minutes, please report to the tent. Call Whiteburn. There's been some bad being separated from your soul self for more than five minutes going around. We're going to have somebody there who can talk you through it. Macho Man Randy Savage is there. <laughs> He's going to speak to you from the heart. Uh, that's what she needed. She came through it okay, and I really like that the takeaway of this is, man, fuck Azeroth. Those people are dummies. Well, also, I found myself thinking, who did come up with that five-minute limit? Was it just like they were just like, that's a nice round number, or did they have a series of people who like tried it? And yeah. There must have been tests, and like, like then they just out. started f- tripping balls, and I guess the Azerathians just they have the, yeah, the DC universe at this era's version of pacifism, which is just giving up and rolling over. Wolfman does not like it. No, uh, he likes it about as well as Ditko did, who, I mean... That was the way that Dove, the character, was created by Steve (laughs) Ditko, was like he was canonically supposed to be a coward. Mm -hmm. And that is what pacifists are. But that is very much with with Azeroth. Oh, well, because they're pacifists, they just gave up immediately as soon as something bad happened. So they just assumed it was, everybody just assumed it was irrevocable. And if you were separated for more than five minutes, then that was it, you were done for. Mm -hmm. Because they didn't bother trying to get back. They didn't bother to resist at all. Yep. So, I, get, I like that she struggles through it. She gets a nice moment of triumph. She fights some terrorists that I was trying to figure out where the hell they were supposed to be from. There was such a weird mix of things going on with the terrorists. I was like, are they Canadian? They had a... Like, like one of them threw an A in there. Yeah, but one of them was named, like, Mikhail. Yeah, so and another one of thing. them said, by Mary. Which was also confusing. So I guess they're just like a... Catholic, Russian... It, it, Russian, Catholic, French? Yeah. I was wondering about the timing of this, if that was near when the stuff with the SLA, with the... Simonese Liberation. Yeah, it was going on. I think it was maybe supposed to be a reference to that. I mean, this is after that, definitely, by a significant amount of time, but it may... There, there's that lag between when something happens and when it is relevant to joke about it in comic books. So, and I think it may have been a nod to the SLA, but it was a confusing mishmash. And I think maybe it was just supposed to be like, well, they're international, you know, therefore evil. And communists. Terrorists. Who are Terrorists, st- communists. Who are evilists. totally confused. The, the, I love that scene where they're like, wait, why are, this isn't right. These kids should love us. We're the revolutionaries. Why are they protesting? <laughs> like that We're just too. trying to blow up their school. Oh, well, doesn't matter. Let's blow it up anyway. <laughs> yeah. Then our point will be made. Good call, guys. I, it was also really, I had to reread this, the bomb blowing up sequence a bit because I'm so used when we see a clock counting down to something. Right. It's like, oh, when that reaches zero... We're in trouble, but it was a count up from 109 to 110, and we see the second hand, and I had to reread it a few times because I was like, I guess that is more realistic, but it is a lot less clear that that is what is happening. I also thought that it was a countdown to the timer on the bomb, but it wasn't. It was the countdown to Raven's soul self, which is why like 29 seconds before the timer goes off, the bomb explodes in Hudson Bay, which also... Dude, what is it with superheroes polluting the waters lately? Better than letting people get blown up. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's true. Where are they gonna put it? I don't know. Garbage can? I wanted more of a scene like... You've seen the 19... 66 Batman movie with Adam West. I don't know if I have. I've seen the old show. I don't know if I've seen a movie. Did they have a movie? Yeah, they made a movie. It was, it's great. I but guess. There's a scene where Adam West, it, it's pretty famous actually. He's holding a big cartoonish bomb over his head running around and trying to find some place to get rid of it. And he's like, <laughs> oh, a school bus full of nuns. Oh. oh. I would have liked maybe a scene like that with sure. Raven. Not that there was no comic relief in the issue because there certainly was, but I think that would have been a nice move. She was already stressed out enough. Trying to get back to her soul or yeah. her body. And yeah, that timer thing was super confusing. When I first saw it, I was like, oh, she's got a really cool giant digital clock on her wall in her room. Hey, wait a minute. Nope, that's a timer of some sort. It must be a timer to the butt, but it's not a timer to the butt. It's just, there's a clock. I was like, I'm just going to stop thinking about and eventually it. Eventually, it's going to be 110. Yeah. And then we're all fucked because that's what happens at 110. Yeah, when you're out of your five minutes. Right, exactly. Man. I didn't get it. She should set a timer. Be like, okay, gotta be back in five minutes. Also, I don't know why she sent her soul self to go explore the camp. Like, that's just kind of lazy on her part. She could have just walked there. She had nothing. She literally stated that she had nothing to do that day. She could have just walked to the campus. 
yet, she also talked about how she wasn't ready to deal with, like, people. Okay, I get that. If you have a soul self in your life... I am throwing shade on her. I would be using my soul self to do all kinds of shit. Like, I really need to go to Walgreens, and then Uh, I gotta go to the library and return these books. But somebody might try to talk to me. Oh, you know what? Giant shadow bird. Yep. <laughs> That's doing. That's running all my errands. <laughs> but hub, you might die if you don't get back in five minutes. Yeah, I'm willing to take that risk. <laughs> it's raining and yeah, I'm almost yeah. out of gas. <laughs> I would. I would send my soul self all kinds of minute errands. Who do you want to talk about next? Well, let's get Robin out of the way. I was just gonna say, what's up with the circus? Robin? I want to see the circus. I, I thought we were going to get to see Robin going to the circus. I think Robin got short shrift. He absolutely did in this issue. And I, I'm really starting to come around on him as a character. He had some fun goofing around moments with Beast Boy last issue. And he announces that he's going to the circus. And then it's like, so let's pan over and look at somebody else. And he's stressing about it too. He's like, man, I really hope going to the big top was a good call. The circus is a very, very stressful place. I felt like there's that episode of The Simpsons where they're watching, I think, an itchy and scratchy thing. And Bart's just like, when are they going to get to the fireworks factory? Mm-hmm. That is how I felt about the circus. I was like, I want to see him go to the circus. Yep. And we never got to see that. So that was kind of a bummer. He's got a nice spaceship car. I guess that's good. Sky cycle. Mm-hmm. Which is not a great name. I like spaceship car better. Yeah, let's call it a spaceship car. Fine. All right, and that's kind of Robin. He gives Raven a ride home and uh, then goes to the circus, which we don't get to see, where presumably he takes them all regularly for their trapeze training. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right, so who's next? We got Beast Beast Boy. Nice T-Bird. Is that what that is? I could only guess. It looked like he painted a T-Bird logo onto the front of a Lincoln. The car was not at all (laughs) how I remember them in the 80s, because they looked like Camaros. Yeah, pretty much. Like, it was like a cheap knockoff Camaro. Also, like, he's a super rich dude. It's, it's a Bentley, right? Yeah. So, so he just... Like, he had somebody airbrushed the team where he looked like, a Bentley. He had, he had maybe just watched, like, Smokey and the Bandit. And it's like, oh, man. Yeah. I want a T-Bird. It's like, um, you just got this Bentley. It's like, well, can you airbrush a T-Bird logo on the... And they're like, fine. It's like, no, make it... Make it like a Sunfire. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Funny accent. It's a... Yeah, Ruffy and Earl loved that car, though. Oh, man, Ruffy and Earl were rough. They had a, a, they had, bad, they had a bad time. Yeah. They had a bad time trying to steal that sweet, sweet Bentley Pontiac bird. Bentley hybrid. Yeah. I did like that about Garden. Like, that actually, I think maybe it was written that it was supposed to be, like, a Pontiac or a Bentley. And I think that's maybe a decision that Perez made that's just like, no, Gar's a fucking idiot. He is absolutely the guy who would paint a bird on a... Paint a bird on a Bentley. (laughs) Yeah. Other than that, yeah, I mean, it's not a full step backwards to me being pissed Beast Boy. He doesn't do anything super sexist. He should not be running that company. He is bad at it. Is he running the company? I think it's kind of, and well, his stepdad's away. It seems like he's supposed to be in charge and people keep getting murdered and he doesn't really give a shit except for like, uh, Questor's yammering at me again about these people being murdered. I'm like, whoa. Maybe you could have some respect for human life, Gar. I didn't. I didn't get that. Of important that he knew people had been murdered, but he was very cavalier about like, oh, I gotta go before yeah, Quester kills himself. This guy's freaking out. I guess there was some murders or something. Mm. Whatever. Anyway, and Cyborg teases him about being rich, and he's like, No, I'm super rich. Yep. Good one. Yep. Um, I like seeing the two of them hanging out together and, like, dressing cool, getting ready to go they, out. They were both... Okay, yeah. We can definitely get back to their outfits for sartorially speaking. Yep. I like a Beast Boy in a turtleneck. With a couple chains. Yeah. Some turtleneck big, and some, chain. Some big lapels. Like a nice, nice thin gold chain over that turtleneck. Yeah, a couple of them. Uh-huh. That's the outfit, man. No, we don't get a ton from him. It definitely seems like this next storyline, he's the de facto head of Dayton Industries. His dad, Steve Dayton, who was a member of the Doom Patrol. And I think that's the next story arc. It seems like they're setting it up that it's going to be Gar-centric. We'll see more of him later. He doesn't do a ton in here except for being kind of a shitty Richie Rich, it seems like. Mm-hmm. There was a letter in the letters column that pointed out that Beast Boy's stepdad, uh, Steve Dayton, is the fifth richest man in the world mm-hmm. at this point in the DC universe. Yep. So, yeah, he's crazy rich. And they I think they even said in the letter, like, we've got plans for, for him. Which would have been explicit even if it hadn't been set up with all the weird creepy puppet shit. Which oh, I we didn't. will get back Why to. Why do they that. always gotta do that? It's cheating. 
isn't it? It's 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 absolutely cheating. It's the same thing that pissed me off in the movie Zombieland when they're like, "Well, I've got this phobia about clowns." It's yeah. like that's not a phobia. You know who else does? Everybody. Yeah, that's a normal. Yeah, thing. yeah. There's no. a so- support group for that. It's called Everybody. Yeah, I was annoyed by that also. But yeah. In this, I feel like when you're using puppets, it's kind of the same thing. It's totally the same thing, especially those ventriloquists, like how do you Yeah, ventriloquist dummies are intrinsically creepy. Nobody thinks they're not creepy. So you lose something. You lose the idea of subverting something that is a symbol of innocence, Mm -hmm. where it is now primarily seen as a symbol of creepy murder mm-hmm. like symbol monkeys oh man that, that the box covered a monkey shine that's what freaked me it, out so much up me. have you seen that movie probably that's i think i saw it recently and it was like crazy cheesy i remember well is ernest borgnine in that i don't remember the movie i just remember the the book was like a compendium of short story stephen king short stories oh yeah 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 it was and on I, the cover of that too yeah. i yeah are you thinking yeah. of cat's eye the one where there's like the little gnome that gets thrown into the fan at the end maybe okay that's that you're probably you're, too. you're you're turning turning a cat's yeah, eye I think, into I a think, monkey shine. i think uh that's i i get accused of that so often and <laughs> this time you're on the money, Corey. Yeah, no, that belongs in the pantheon of video box covers of movies I have never seen that were very influential <laughs> to me. We, we, we've got Monkey Shine, we've got yeah. Ghoulies, we've got Angel, School Girl by Day. No, those last two were corroborated by me. Well, okay, I haven't seen them still. The movies. Yeah, I haven't just seen any of those covers. movies. Just the box covers Yeah, are just terrifying. Not even terrifying, necessarily. I don't think I was terrified by Angel. Um, <laughs> But just like video box covers that I've I've seen a million times and like concocted whole stories in my head as a child of what the movie is mm-hmm. and know nothing about the actual movie. Sure. Something wild, I think, belongs in that category as well. Yep. yep. So The Exterminator. Yeah. You remember yeah. that? The guy with like a welding mask and a flamethrower or something? Yeah. The uh, Shocker was another one. Oh, I never saw With Lyle shocker. Alzado being electrocuted in an electric chair. Oh, yeah, yeah, he got he, he yeah, time. He got a lot of, well, he got a lot of direct-to-video time. Direct-to-video, well, yeah. Yeah, we're getting the slightest bit off topic. True. What do you think about Cyborg's story? Ah, oh, what a chestnut. Yeah. Marcy? Well, she can go jump in a lake. Yeah, man, she can go pound sand. Her mm-hmm. whole family can. Yep. I do not care. They're fucking robo-racist. Yep, don't hang out with that guy. He's got a metal head yeah i don't want you to ever see him again she's just like oh why couldn't you have just died whoa what the fuck and i mean yeah she starts walking that back immediately but hey at the same time (laughs) (laughs) though though i have not said something that horrible there are times when you're 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 arguing with somebody <laughs> and you say something and you're just like, "Holy shit, I just said that out loud." Like, okay, I they I... weren't even arguing though. Really. She she was just like trying to explain why she never wanted to ever see him and I know, she was, I know. I'm just you, you know, I'm, I'm giving her the the benefit of the doubt where like what if it's one of those things where you're just like you say it and then you cover your mouth you're like, <gasps> like you want yeah, to Yeah, I guess, it. man, but I I mean, I Marcy's robo racism is showing and I writing her off. I'm done with her. Bugged me out, too. And he was classy as, as heck. He was. He dealt with He that. was rad. And he has a sweet-ass put-down of her, which we will revisit when we visit the Bozone later. Excellent. But we've seen a tremendous amount of between-issue growth in Cyborg. He's being written completely differently now. Because of his dad, I he, think, he in the last had a, issue. He had a good die-and-dad montage. Mm-hmm. And now it's like he's changed stereotypes and gone from uh, angry young black man to magical Negro. Like, now he's just full of wisdom, and he's calm, and is ready to help these children realize their full potential with his wisdom. And his, like, the, I can't remember how they described it, like, a a soothing baritone laugh. Yeah, it's like, it's a pleasant laugh. It's It's like, like, oh, you're, 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 yeah, or Bagger Vance. That being said, I do like his interaction with the children, and it's interesting to see it's such a abrupt shift in how he's written but he had a pretty sweet dying dad montage you do some scrapbooking mm-hmm. really helps you find your center yep i guess good for him yeah also he has a sweet hat yeah and he's so smooth when the like the teacher comes up and and the kids like interacting with him and the teacher lady's like uh don't interact with that that creepy guy kid it's in my mind now he sounds like bing crosby 
<laughs> all the time. Well, just just kind of like maybe even a little bit drunk the level that he is just taking everything in stride and just going with the punches of every situation. Yep. Yeah. Unlike Bing Crosby, probably not hitting his children with a bag of oranges. What? Oh yeah, Bing Crosby, horrible person. Beat his children with sacks of oranges so it wouldn't leave any bruises. I'm I was speechless for a minute there. Yeah. I still yeah. kind of am. That's not the image we have of him. Yeah, that's the one that I have. Oh. It's a shame. How did Because I love the Road 2 movies. His son wrote an autobiography uh, before he killed himself, actually. Oh. I think a couple of his kids have, have committed suicide. Oh. It's... That's it's, gross. Yeah, he's a har- horrible guy. I, these claims are disputed. They may not be true. Hopefully they are not. But um, either way, it's a shame because, man, I love the Road 2 movies. It was a revelation to me that Bob Hope was actually very funny at one point. And Bing Crosby, just charming, smooth, great singer, monster. Pretty good golfer, I understand. Oh, that's okay then. Yeah, it all evens out. That brings us to our favorite, my, uh, I'm sorry, I don't mean to speak for you, favorite sub story. What is your favorite sub story? The Uh, Golden Girl Donna. I thought it might be. (laughs) Adventure. Well, through a process of elimination, if nothing else. In which she meets the former Prime Minister of Italy, Silvio Berlusconi. (laughs) Is that who that was? I, it's well no because he didn't come to media prominence until like a couple years ago but maybe that's what he was doing before well he he is the head of a media conglomerate and so probably a former jeans company owned, too yeah jordash or oh or, man so okay here's one of the things that we, we find out a lot about what donna's been up to for the last year do you want to focus on donna more first or uh starfire let's go starfire that's yeah the golden girl herself the golden girl herself she's flying around having a nice time Jolly as can be. Jolly as can be. Really digging earth now that it's summer. Mm-hmm. Living in Portland, I get that. Yep. Spring starts coming. It's like, oh shit, the sun? This is rad. People go crazy. They dress scantily. They start flying yep. around. And they start taking off their clothes all the time. Yep. Creeping out an old man. I think that might be the same bald Alan Moore who dropped his bong in the last issue. So you're just following her. <laughs> Wait, well, no, because no, that was Valkyrie. <laughs> oh, well, we switched uh, worlds. But yeah, there's that one really weird kind of creepy panel where she's like, oh, I have my costume here. I'll just change. She's in the middle of Central Park. And we see this like creepy dude peeking over his newspaper being like, ah. But Starfire is having a great time. Yep. She goes out to lunch with Donna. She talks about the fact that she is confused by Donna's secret identity situation which it's presented in a way that it's like this is a strange planet and i don't understand their customs that makes sense but anybody being confused by donna's secret identity shit also makes sense because i don't get that well, she's not if, wearing a disguise if you say her name then people will know it's her <laughs> right as opposed to if they just look at her goddamn face yeah she's like wow that really looks like uh that looks like wonder girl oh but this person said donna those w and d are totally different letters wow i must have been mistaken i bet people come up to her all the time <laughs> like you look just like wonder girl <laughs> i bet she handles it really well too yeah. she's like i am not my name is donna donna troy with a d d D for Donna. Not W. W, different letter. Anyway, I'm going to go take some pictures. I like the fact that she has a classical sense of beauty and proportion that comes through in her artistic skills because it's a subtle nod to her being raised on Themyscira and like planet ancient Greece, basically. Sure. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. She's apparently been a fashion photographer for a while now. Yep. Pretty good at it. Another thing that's been going on for a while is her relationship with Terry Long. Terry Long. Terry Long. This is the first time we see him. Mm-hmm. He's got curly hair and a beard. Mm-hmm. He's a divorcee. Mm-hmm. And he's been dating Donna for about a year. Right after his divorce. How much older is he than Donna, do you think? Um, you think he's probably about 30? Mid-30s? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Old enough to for it to be a little creepy. Old enough for well, it to... What is she supposed to be? 19 now? 19 20? tops. Because she's still a teenage. Like, it's still the Teen Titans. So I think... I'm sure they want her to be as old a teen as possible at this point. It's like 19. So she's probably 19. 9. But that means that she was... 18 when they started dating best mm. case scenario that's a little creepy yep i and it's made a little bit more creepy by the fact that terry is openly ogling starfire in front of her mm-hmm. I, I think kind of in a playful way 
but also it's kind of creepy. I think Terry Long is a fairly divisive character within the comics community. Maybe not even divisive. I think the general consensus is it's kind of creepy. I've heard some people say that they think that he's supposed to be a stand-in for Wolfman. And it's like, oh, like it's he just like, oh, now I get to date <laughs> Donna. Mm. There's things I like about the relationship. I really like the idea of specifically a very powerful superheroine woman dating a normal dude. Mm-hmm. I think, and I think honestly, that's what some people dislike about him. It's like, no, she needs to be dating a superhero, somebody who can keep up with her. But they have no problem with like Superman dating Lois Lane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why? Why wouldn't she just date a regular dude? There's hell of a lot more regular dudes, and it, it's fine if she's more powerful than he is. So I like that aspect of the relationship. There's some problematic shit about it. I, I think he was maybe like Donna's professor as well, which also a little bit sketchy. Fashion professor? Yeah. Well, she was a college student, you know? I don't know. We'll see more of him later. We can let our opinions form a little bit more. But first blush, mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, not super. But some of it was maybe topical to the era, as you have said in the past. You know, it was a simpler time when everybody was awful. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> it was just how it was. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. Your girlfriend's taking pictures of another sexy girl, and you're just like, wow. yeah. Wow. Like, she's pretty hot. Yeah. Yeah, and we see that she was previously photographing a woman named Candy, <laughs> who is a, a bad model. Is, and is, is a, just, I... A piece of spaghetti. <laughs> oh, I oh. said it wrong, didn't I? Yeah, well, you, you said it wrong. Um, what is his name? I keep Mr. Della, Della Donna? Yeah. No, uh, no. Della Donna was the guy. Sergio. It, oh, it Sergio? Was, he was Sergio, not Silvio. Oh, okay. But I don't think it was Della Donna. Della Donna was the guy who was when they did the Romeo and Juliet story back in the old Teen Titans. Oh, right. Well, maybe it's an old uh, family. Yeah, maybe oh, Maybe this is like Calabano's dad. Hey! <laughs> uh, Remember Calabano? Oh, yeah. That guy was a turd. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we see this model named Candy, who is just dumb as a box of rocks. And it is kind of funny, but it's also like, ah. Uh, kind of punching down and it's just such a stereotype that yeah i know she's a supermodel so she's dumb right right pretty ladies are dumb right but she is written as being very dumb and a total valley girl and there is a kind of fun piece of just like 80s time capsule this is how we say that she's a ditz she can't think without chewing gum well she can't think without chewing gum but her specific reasoning behind the can't think without chewing gum is, uh... Gee, like, how can I think without gum? I mean, wow, gum, it sort of soothes my karma, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It's like uh, Janice from the Muppets. Yeah, well, when I read it that way, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she also played with Dr. Teeth. Oh, man. I hope so. My real hope for Candy is that she is pissed off because Starfire has through no fault of her own, just supplanted her as the new jeans model. Because mm-hmm. that's Starfire. She's a real hot number. And she, she is. But my hope for Candy, and I doubt this is realized, is that she becomes a supervillain. Because that <laughs> is absolutely, like, if she was a dude, that is the origin story for, like, half the supervillains out there, is they are slighted and somehow picked over by a superhero Mm -hmm. or like you know like eddie brock gets can't compete with peter parker for photographs so he gets fired and becomes venom Mm -hmm. like i feel like that's a very classic supervillain origin story Mm -hmm. and i would love it if candy became a supervillain yeah what do you think her power would be karma manipulation yep got it in one also competitive gum chewing she can get some of those uh joker's daughter like uh, Bubblegum placenta is going, yeah, oh. trapping people. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that and karma manipulation. <laughs> uh, Starfire is uh, flying around. She's going to become a jeans model mm-hmm. because she she shows up to go out to lunch with Donna and... Stops the show cold. Uh, stops the show cold. Well, the show had already been stopped by Candy's goddamn incompetence. Can't even model right. I know. It's making poor Wonder Girl need a double aspirin. Yeah. And Mr. DeLevy? Mr. DeLevy. Hey. Hey. Because, yeah, we are going full Mario with this character. And the way he's written, I just want to read all of his dialogue. He shows up. (laughs) But uh, it's it's offensive. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I'm just an offensive Italian stereotype. Don't bother me. It's so bad. Uh, He shows up. The first words he says, 
Hey, what's these? These are pictures. They make my candy look so skinny like a spaghetti. He's doing the hand gestures too. Yeah. Folks out there in Radio Land. It's, uh... <laughs> it's immersive. I'm a method actor, yeah, Corey. I, I, for that brief moment, mm-hmm. I was. So we are the person I, 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 I'm not sure what Carl's role is I think he's maybe in charge of the photo shoot maybe he's I think the he's... producer of the commercial maybe or like the the handler um, what's his offensive name? Italian <laughs> yeah that guy stereotype yeah okay but he's clearly working with Donna and is a proponent of Donna they're, yeah. they're working together and Delivi is I guess the client maybe but he goes on hey you you are telling me Sergio Delevi he don't know a beauty when he sees a one it's uh, these pictures they stink <laughs> Donna goes off and says no Candy stinks. She's a shitty model, and these pictures are fucking rad. I really like the way that Donna sticks up for herself. She's very assertive and very confident. And this is when Starfire shows up. Immediately, Jaws hit the floor. She's wearing a weird kind of hippie number. Purple, blousy top, showing a little bit of belly. And we immediately get from Mr. DeLevy, Mama Mia! Uh, of course. <laughs> She's a beauty. She's a perfect. She's a my golden jeans, a girl. So he can't even say the name of his own company. No. And Candy is like, gosh, Sergio, you said I was your golden jeans girl, didn't ya? Ah, Candy, my love, the girl, Donna, she's all right. You are a spaghetti. But this one, she's a prime filet. Mmm. Oh, creepy. Gross. Yeah, it's, uh, it would have been less jarred to me if he had done it in character and compared her to a different pasta, perhaps. You gotta stick with the Italian offensive stereotype. Well, I don't know. Maybe he was going like, like, primi secundi, like you start with your pasta and then you, you go to your meat. Maybe he's from the north. Oh, okay, okay. And and, and then it's like, and Donna, she's a tiramisu. <laughs> exactly. It's super creepy. It's the blatant over-the-top objectification of women, specifically as food, mm-hmm. is really creepy. And, and makes the whole thing less fun, which is a shame because I loved his crazy shitty accent. Yeah. Was it Black Belt Jones that had the... It was absolutely Black Belt Jones that had the non-Italian actors playing mafia people. And one of them says, literally, Mamma Mia, I'm trying to eat up my spaghetti over here. And yeah, that is exactly what I was thinking. I am almost certain that Mr. DeLevy is not Italian. <laughs> no. No, he's just a he's guy. Just practicing for yeah, his next that's role. his character. Mm. That's his character he's that he came up also. with. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, Donna and, and Coriander. Mm-hmm. Her name keeps getting shortened. Her nickname is Cory. Mm-hmm. But I can't call her that because it's too confusing. It is super confusing. Yeah. Hers is with a K it, and probably has a little apostrophe. It's still confusing. But yeah. I do like how when you say her full name... It does at the end just sound like you're going Durr. That's how you say it. It's, it's how alien. It's That's how you write alien. Yep. I also wanted to bring up when Cyborg is talking to those kids, hmm. they've got a ton of apostrophes dropping places and like I guess trying to make them be like cute kids or have them have Brooklyn accents. I don't know what effect they're going for, but it made me suspect that these kids were aliens. Well it's the same. Like it's you know, urban inner city or alien. Lots right. Of the important thing is that you other them. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite things that happened in a comic book, and this is the only time I think it has gone in this direction, is when Orion from the New Gods came to Earth and went undercover. He went undercover as a guy named O apostrophe Ryan, a Irish dude. Oh. <laughs> and I think it is the only example that I can think of, certainly, <laughs> of somebody from another planet adding an apostrophe to their name to try to make it an Earth name. Like, it almost always goes the other way. Like, Coriander becomes Cory. And John Jones Mm -hmm. becomes John Jones. But, yeah, I really liked the Orion. I thought that was fun. But so then, yeah, Coriander and Donna go out to lunch together. Uh, They're introduced, or Donna introduces her to Terry. Then I guess they just directly after lunch all go to the park together and take sexy photographs? Yeah. Okay. Just wanted to make sure I had the timing right. Seems like an odd thing to do after a big meal, but... I don't know, maybe her metabolism is faster than Earth people. 
Mm, could be. She does have all those apostrophes. Yeah. If I'm Terry and that's happening, I'll just be like, okay. Yeah, I guess. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, I think we touched on most of what I wanted to talk about. Talked about the kids maybe being aliens. Talked about Marcy being a robo-racist. Didn't touch on the last thing that Coriander says as she flies off all <laughs> hot and bothered. Yeah, so she's been flirting with Robin throughout the series. And, you know, carrying him around like a baby. She says she has nothing to do. And then, yeah, her last phrase as she flies off is, Or maybe I do have something to do. Wonder what Dick's up to tonight. Mmm. <laughs> it's the second creepy mmm. Yeah. This, this I wonder if she so. picked that up from Mr. DeLevy. Oh, she's like, she is this learning. is how. Uh, she's quick, quick study. She's just Pygmalion and all this shit up. That was that that also did amuse me. Yeah, we talked about the puppets being creepy as fuck. It genuinely I, I they created I think maybe more pathos than they intended to. I was so sad when that man got shot by the evil puppet at the end because his grandson just told him that he loved him. And that made me very sad. He seemed like a nice man. He seemed like overall a pretty nice man. I'm not sure if we were supposed to th- like I kept expecting him to be evil just because he's the chairman of a board of a big company and he was fat. And in comic books, that is almost always coded for like he's an evil plutocrat. Sure. Yeah. Along those lines, it seemed to me somewhat out of character that he was like, oh, I got a letter that there's this free toy, so I'll go get it, even though I'm <laughs> yeah. super rich. Yeah. Kid was excited and he wants to make the kid happy. So. Yeah, that was so sad. And he tucks his grandson in and grandson says, I wish I could stay with you. I love staying with you. It's like, oh, I'm getting too old for this. Yeah. I but go. I love hanging out with that boy. And then a fucking cowboy puppet shoots him in the head. Gross. Yeah. Fuck puppets, man. <laughs> On uh, that note. Yeah, you ready for the minutia? Let's hit it, Rick. We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Favorite sound effect? Bong. Yep. <laughs> that is the sound it makes when Cyborg is hitting the head with a baseball. Bong. <laughs> That was up there with mine. It actually isn't my favorite, though. What was your favorite? Bang. What? I know it doesn't, it isn't as exciting or unusual a sound effect, but the way it is presented is the second to last panel. Oh, when the it, creepy... is when the, it was when the creepy puppet shoots the dude, and it is the whole panel is written vertically, the word bang. And it is so bold. And then at the end, under the single G are three exclamation points. And it's almost like Art Deco looking. It's just a really cool looking panel. Yeah, it's like the exclamation points are like pediment or uh, columns holding up the... Yeah, or like their bullets themselves. It it's... almost makes up for the fact that it was a creepy Howdy Doody looking. Oh, it MF. does not make up for that at all. Fuck that puppet. I said almost. Yeah. It's and you gotta stop almost. saying fuck that puppet. Just doesn't sound good. <laughs> I'm not going to. Okay. Never. Good favorite panel. It's not my favorite panel. I mean sound effect. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a really it's a really well done sound effect. Although I was very tempted to go with a bong. The, the bong cracked me up. Yeah. It did. What do you want to hit next? Well, since we were on panels. Yeah, favorite panel? I, I had a few choices. I really like when Cyborg meets the kid in the park and hands him back the baseball. Uh-huh. And the teacher comes up to them and is like, hey, what's happening? And he's got this great rapport established with the kid because they're like, we both have these prosthetic devices. Right. And the teacher's like, ah. And the, kids, the kid says, hey, come play baseball with us. I, uh, would you do that, mister? It'd be so awesome. And the teacher's like, oh, no, he's busy. Like, And he takes off his, his cap and he puts it on the, the teacher lady's head. And he's <laughs> like, I got this. Yeah. And that scene is just like super smooth. But I don't know. That was it's really not... fun. Along similar lines, I, one of my favorite panels was, and, and it might actually be my favorite. It's close. Bong. I actually had that one also. <laughs> when he is hit in the head with the baseball, that is it from a baseball bat. And he just, he, it, he totally no sells it. It's like barely, it doesn't really notice. It obviously doesn't hurt him at all. It's just a baseball bouncing off his head and him being yeah. like, oh, that's weird. Yeah, I know. That's um, he's like, oh. it, It's really fun. And he's also wearing like a dope driver's cap in it. like Which matches the color of his sweater. Yeah, it's a good outfit. Mm-hmm. We may hear more about it soon. Other favorite panels, man, Raven's fucking bad trip. 
It's a full page thing. It is so cool. It's really awesomely drawn. It's a weird ass, terrifying, psychedelic image. And part of it, she's drowning in an hourglass. That that was definitely up there for me for favorite panels. How, how, how about you? What else did you have? I think my, my runner up is on page 23 and I called it Starfire and Happy Birds. I like that one a lot, too. I know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. They're just flying around the streets of New York. There's clotheslines everywhere because it's New York. No, that's on. That's the page one where. She oh, is, that, that where is, that's a different one. You're yeah. right. I'm sorry. She's she's above Central Park. There yeah. aren't any clotheslines above Central Park. As far as we know. Mm. No, yeah. This one is actually a long, skinny panel that takes up the left whole left part of the she page. She looks so happy. She's doing flips and shit. That's very graphic. And... And, and she's having fun with the birds, too. Mm -hmm. It looks like, like an image that would be inset in a mirror. Mm -hmm. You know, and I agree. That's a, that is a very cool panel. I think I'm gonna go with Raven being stuck in a K hole, having a bad trip. But I, which one is your is your favorite? I'm gonna go with the the hat switch. Hat switch. Yep. All right. Good call. Thanks. You know what? That kind of did segue a little bit into sartorially speaking. We got a lot of fashion to cover in this. Oh, man. I, I know. People tuned into this podcast for our hot take on fashion. What, what, what do you want to talk about? This issue was... Far richer than most. Ah, because they're in their civilian identities. And we were chatting a little bit earlier off off mic about that kind of segue from the 70s to the, to yeah. the 80s in this sort of gray area where there's yeah, elements of both. It's not like there was like a sharp moment where, boom, it is New Year's Eve 1980. Disco's over. Trim your lapels. You yeah. Know, didn't happen. No, it, it is an area where there there's a lot of bleed from the 70s into the 80s and... There's some cool shit going on. There's some nice looks. We talked a little bit about Beast Boy's turtleneck already. We talked about Coriander's kind of hippie-ish, mm -hmm. but definitely segueing into 80s look. Cyborg's star of the show for this one for me, though. Just, he's got that, that puffy fucking, uh, is it Junior from the Fat Albert? Yeah, I imagine that, like, like the texture of the, the Sixpence hat is like a, the Kangol, like the fuzzy yeah. stuff. Yeah, well, it just matches his... What yeah, what I assume is a velour jacket really well. It's also kind of kind of like a look that uh, Grandmaster Flash used to rock. Mm -hmm. It's a tight look, and I like it a lot. Yeah, man. There's also just the jeans models who are just wearing jeans and no tops. That's a good look. Yep, I I like that. Um, <laughs> I I think it's a bold fashion choice. It was just very evocative to me of like, oh, they're making a Calvin Klein ad. Mm -hmm. Like, it just, it's so specific of that era. Like 80s jeans. Yeah, 80s stuff. jeans ads. Carl has a great look. I actually liked that a lot. Carl. He's the, uh, the guy that we weren't sure exactly what his role was, like the producer of. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was um, he, he's got Pinch one of those, the colored shirt, but with the white collar, and then he's wearing a tie with it. The shirt has stripes, too. The right? shirt has stripes, too. And it's just like, oh, that's right. That is a look that people do. It's actually a pretty good one. I, I like I that outfit. That stuck out a little bit. Donna's wearing a fucking tight-ass pantsuit. Mm -hmm. Like, not that it is tight in her buttock region, but it's just like, it's a nice looking <laughs> pantsuit. That was one of those where it made me step back and be like, that's right. This wasn't just for middle-aged women at that point. This was like a young woman's pantsuit. And mm -hmm. just like the people that wore that kind of thing aged and that was what changed it. But it was really cool looking and it looked good on her. And, but also was like very business appropriate. Mm -hmm. like, yeah, yeah, good, good fashion all around. Yeah, I want to go with uh, bend the rules a little bit instead of having to pick one. I think that there's this, I, and also abbreviated their, their names. So it sounds like, I don't know, like they could be like a early hip hop duo and it was BB and Borgie. Oh, BB and Borgie. Yeah, because that scene when they're together and like one of like yeah. these boys on the phone. Yeah, they they had like a mod squad moment for mm -hmm. sure. Where <sighs> Cyborg's putting on his hat and it's like, oh, these guys are like fresh. They're go getting ready to go out and like go to the club or something. Instead, that you know they did other. Things. I like the idea that they were about to go undercover. Despite the fact that one of them is green and one of them is shiny metal, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I like that, and I like them as I, I like them as a duo. Excellent um, beverages, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Although, actually, there is a great article that is by a writer who goes by the name Son of Baldwin that is on the Middle Spaces page that a uh, friend of the show, Osvaldo Oyola, hosts. That is about cyborg and. It's great, and you should check it out. It is an article called Humanity Not Included, DC's Cyborg and the Mechanization of the Black Body, and it is really, really good. 
Uh, and you should all read that. And in general, you should read the middle spaces. It's good. Agreed. Yeah. So we've got sartorially speaking. We've got the panel. I think it's time that we take this show to the bozo. No shit. What was your favorite moment of somebody calling somebody else a bozo? I couldn't find any direct bozos here. There were no actual use of the word bozo in this issue, okay, which is a rarity. Yep. I don't know. I almost took it a little bit of a different direction, and I oh, took a other way. A friendly kind of ribbing of the children with the prosthetics. Oh, I, I know the moment you're talking about, and I liked that, too. That's when Cyborg is about to go play baseball with him. Yeah. And he says... It was, a, it was a kind of a charming moment. He says, come on, you crummy kids. Last one to the diamonds and lousy Imperial Stormtrooper. Yep. I was like, ah, he knows how to talk to the kids about things that they like, but he also called them crummy. Yeah. In a joking, kind of kind-hearted well, way. Probably. As far as I mean, know. we can't read it. He might just hate kids and he wants to beat them at baseball. Which he totally can do. I know. His like, not only is he a robot, his prosthetics level. are so much better than their prosthetics, mm-hmm. but he is also a star athlete before he became half robot. Yeah, they don't stand a chance. No. And I do, like, I, I think you're right that he did mean it in a friendly way, and that is just, like, him relating to kids, and it's fun. We haven't seen him this happy in... ever. I don't think. No, well, we also haven't seen him happy ever. Touche. I mean, we saw him have a mean smile when he was about to electrocute Shimmer. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. My favorite bozoing was also by Cyborg. It is an actual diss, and it is when he is saying goodbye to Marcy. See you around, Marcy. Or better yet, maybe I won't. Burn! Yeah. Corey, did I just have a stroke? Because I smell toast. Yeah. 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 You tell that fucking robo-racist. Yeah. Damn. Mm. He's bummed after that too. Like he he plays it. He's cool. bummed for a second, but then then, then he somebody bongs a dinger off his head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing like a bomb dinger <laughs> off your head. To yeah, change really your spirits. Yeah, changes changes his tune. Yeah, um, uh, that's a real bomb dinger. What was your show and tell moment this issue? This one was trickier than usual. I had to, to hunt for it. He's I I think the writing is tightening up as he gets the characters better. They're less direct and obvious show and tells. Mm-hmm. But I do think I found a shining example. Excellent. It is on page 17. Oh. If I wrote, we have different if ones. I wrote things correctly. And it's Raven during her her bad trip. Okay. And she clearly knows what's happening. Like, she's been away for too long and and shit got super weird. But at the same time, she says to herself, is this what happens when I exceed the five-minute limit? (laughs) Like, yes. Fair enough. Yes. Yes, this is what happens. Of course this is what happens. That, yes. Because that's what you did. Yeah. And you knew that it was happening. Yes. It would be a hell of a coincidence if it wasn't. Pretty weird. My show-and-tell moment is of Starfire. And it's on page 24. And... She's looking down, and I would say what is about to happen, but she says what is about to happen, like she's singing an R. Kelly trapped in a closet verse. Uh-oh. Oh no, trouble on the ground. That horse and carriage seem to have broken free. And that child, just lying there. There's no way to get him out of the way in time. Like, just her narrating the situation very directly. Exactly what we are seeing in the panel is what she is saying out loud. And then she punches out a horse. She starbolts out the horse. Yeah. Space punch. She space punches out a horse. Which is actually pretty awesome. It is pretty awesome. She she makes a point of saying that the horse is not injured. I feel bad about how, like, really my thought was like, that's awesome. I don't think people should be mean to horses just because I'm scared of them. That horse is going to have a headache when it wakes up, too. That head is so big. Horses' heads are too big. They're too big. Corey. I find horses less scary than ponies, but we've been over this before yes, on this yes. podcast. So. What about zebras? Zebras are scary. I don't think I've ever been up close to one. And I haven't been, like, real close to one, but I've seen a zebra. What is scary? I don't like to brag, Corey, but I've seen a zebra. Why is it more scary or less scary than a pony? I think specifically I had a bad dream about zebras. <laughs> oh. And they were doing that thing. You know how horses do that thing when they're crazy where their lips are peeled back from their teeth? Yeah, that's gross. It's like scary. Mr. Red. Yeah, it's it's really scary. And, and all of the zebras were doing that. And they wanted to hurt me, Corey. I'm sorry that you had that bad dream. I am too. It sounds yucky. Yeah. Anyway, maybe Starfire could punch, punch a out a zebra. <laughs> Dude, she would totally do that. Anyway, I don't think you should be mean to horses. You shouldn't punch out horses. You shouldn't space punch out horses. She does make a point that she has caused no lasting damage to the horse. Just stunned it. It just stunned it, and horse is okay. So, 
you know. And the horse that. probably didn't want to hurt the kid. It was just yeah, it was just scared. Too man. much going yeah. on. Man, it's a crazy world out there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was my show and tell. <laughs> Every issue of a Teen Titans comic has an Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans. And every issue also has a Speedy, the worst of Teen Titans. In this issue, who did you think was the Speedy? This was a tough one because... Everybody's just kind of doing their own thing. Everybody's doing their own thing. And so I kind of... I felt like I had to pick the Titan that I didn't have as much to go on. Ah, see, I think that's... I know you're going to disagree with this. I think that's cheating. I don't think that's the way... Because we want to see him doing his trapeze business. He's not doing a bad job. We just don't see what kind of job he's doing. So, the first page, he's like, I'm flying off on my base cycle. So, if we're not showing us what he does at the circus... Yep. Dinged. You're... you're, Okay. Who did you think I don't think that's... I went... With Garfield Logan. He's the beast stopped boy. those men from robbing his car? Yeah, that's a selfish act, though. That's not really crime fighting. <laughs> if somebody's robbing your car, you're just going to be like, oh, go ahead. You no, I'm, not, say- I'm, not, I'm saying it's not an act of heroism, though. No, it's not. He dressed cool. and He and he dressed pretty cool, but he did a shitty job running his company and is very callous about the fact that lives have been lost. Yeah, I can see Dan. It's like, that. that guy, oh, this guy's on my case about a bunch of heads on my the board of my company being murdered. God, get a load of the quest store over there. I still don't remember him knowing that everybody was being murdered. All right, let's take a look. The ever-present Vernon Questor, my stepfather's business manager. Yeah, what is it, Questor? This is Gar Logan. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, it's about me signing some more stupid papers. Uh, There's an an emergency that requires your personal attention. It's just awful. Soren Winslow was just shot to death. That's two members of the board in two days. I fear that something is very much a foul. He's like, okay, okay. I'll just get back home. Just keep your socks on, okay? Oh, you're right. You're totally right. And then Questor is like, I'm in a positive dither over this. He's like, gotta run or Questor will shoot himself. I'm headed. I'm needed back home. So, okay. That's some speedy level shit. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, okay. I gotta hand it to you. I skipped over that part. So, um, yeah. Beast Boy is my speedy. Who's your Aqualad? This one was actually a little tough for me. I, I, had, yeah. a, I had a couple choices that I wanted to go with, but I think, to be fair, I have to give it to Raven. Because yeah. acts of heroism and also just dealing with some fucked up shit and coming out of it stronger. She had the, the most difficult task. She defeated terrorists and she was the only one who did anything along those lines. And yes, she uh, she got out of the K-hole, which mm-hmm. didn't know it could be done. Yep. I don't know. But if I got to pick a runner up in terms of like, like that's the practical choice. Cyborg. Oh man. See this, that it's, it's almost like a tie between the two happy stories. Yeah. Where Cyborg like becomes happy and plays baseball with the kids. But also Starfire is just like, I love springtime. I love modeling. (laughs) I'm saving a kid from a horse. Like earth is rad. That's just, both of them are so feel good. Yeah. Yeah. Those are both really fun. You're, you're right. I I also went with Raven, but I I think Cyborg did, did did a nice thing. Blades probably whooped those kids at baseball. I don't know. I think his newfound happy guy feeling he's, he's probably, he's still a, he's still a computer. He's still a competitor. That's not a word. A competitor. He's still a, compet- a competitive person. Sure. A competitor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> competitor. I mean competitor. <laughs> I mean competitor. Whatever. Let's get together. My point exactly. Do you remember when Lee and I were playing basketball near your house? And, like, these drunk teenage girls showed up and were like, we're going to play basketball. And me and Lee just kicked their asses at basketball. Those girls didn't have shoes. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. Yeah. As Here's how bad I am at basketball. Ass. I had to sit that out so you guys could win. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we were terrible at basketball. And, like, they, they, were, they were awful, though. Mm-hmm. They, they seemed pretty drunk. Yeah. We still... Kick their asses at basketball. In terms of things <laughs> that can happen to shoeless, drunken teenage girls at a park. I think it taught them a valuable lesson. You keep your eyes on the prize. Mm-hmm. Don't mess with Mr. Booze. Or you'll get some booze from the crowd when you lose at basketball to two guys who are not very good at basketball. <laughs> <laughs> that's the lesson. Yep. I, ho- I hope they learned it. Uh, I think that's about it. Well, thank you so much for joining us, dear listeners. This was a goddamn delight. This is, I think, maybe my favorite new Teen Titans story we've covered so far. Good times. We will be back in two weeks with the new Teen Titans, where we will find out what happens with those shitty murderous puppets. <laughs> Boo. And we'll be back next week with an issue of The Defenders. 
where we'll see how Val is fitting in with her new teammates. I'm looking forward to it. I think that'll be a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun talking to you. Uh, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to me. You can get in touch with us at www.internet.com. Ttwasteland at gmail.com. Hey, good one, Corey. Thank you. Is that it? Yeah, I think so. You can find. Yeah, ttwasteland at gmail.com. We're on Facebook. Mm-hmm. We're on Twitter yep. at ttwasteland underscore. We're all up in your internets. We've got a Tumblr blog. iTunes. iTunes. Leave us a reviews if you want. We're on Patreon. You can give us some money. All right. Take care of each other out there. Don't give each other any garbage dick. Nobody wants it. Bye. Bye. And they knew it. Superman in Gold Mine Rescue. Kids are stuck in a gold mine. They're in there, all right, but it's too risky to blast, so I'll... Look, Superman is using his body as a human er superhuman drill. How was it down there? It was spooky. Scary. We didn't even find any gold. And boy, are we hungry. There's another kind of gold that you can eat. Wow! Hostess Twinkie Cakes. Golden sponge cakes. Thanks, Jimmy. I love the creamed filling. <laughs> you missed a real gold mine of a story, Clark. Scooped again, Jim. You get a big delight in every bite of Hostess Twinkie Cakes.